0: Sit back down and shut your trap. It's time for... Keeping, Keeping it, sports it sports with them 3 Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready, ready? Are you ready for... Place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time to do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, uh, here's, here's your host, you know, M3, M3, Mike, Mike Rosansky. Okay, let's try this again. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping it Sports with M3, powered by the School of Broadcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope you all have a great day for this Monday, the 12th day. Now, I don't know if any of you were watching the live feed, but this is actually try two of doing the podcast today because about oh, 25 minutes into recording the podcast, the power went out in the building. So, somewhere out there in the, the metaverse or whatever is streaming the deleted version of the first half of the podcast. But hey, it's not going to ruin my excitement, my enjoyment over what a great day I hope that you all are having out there. A great day I'm having because, hey, it's back. We've waited seven months, but our happy place is back. And that is called the NFL. And week one, let's face it, of the NFL season is a time to be joyous, a time to be celebratory, even if you're a team that most prognosticators say is going to be terrible, is going to be awful this year. Because you know, you come into the season with hope. You have come into it with grand envisions of oh, this could be our year. And it's also You know, week one, a time to overreact, time to say, oh, your team won. We're going to the Super Bowl. Your team lost. It's another dreadful year. It's over. Everything. The sky is falling. I don't know how you're supposed to react if you're a Colts or a Texans fan, considering you guys played to a overtime tie yesterday that seemed to you know, kind of like a bummer for both fan bases. So I'm not really sure how the, you all should be reacting. But in a lot of places today, there's a lot of high hopes. There's a lot of enjoyment, a lot of excitement. You know, especially if you're up in lovely Western New York and you're a Buffalo Bills fan. Who, you know, the the Bills coming into this year, let's face it, are the favorites in the AFC after what was a heartbreaking end of their season last year, most people, including yours truly, have picked them not only to be the AFC representative in the Super Bowl, but to finally win the whole damn thing. Finally have the coach in place. that The quarterback in Josh Allen, that could be the one to accomplish what, unfortunately for them, Jim Kelly could never do, and that's win a championship. And let's be honest, let's, if you're going based off of just week one, the Bills look like an unstoppable juggernaut. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say they could have won that game 50-10 to 10 because of a couple of unfortunate turnovers for the Bills, In the first half is why it was a 10-10 game. They were clearly the better of the two teams. You look at the first interception Allen threw. Wasn't even truly his fault. It bounced off Isaiah McKenzie's chest right into a defender's arm. And you could even make the argument that um, the Rams made a good play on the second interception. But all in all, he was moving the ball up and down the field with ease. Uh, you know, him and Stephon Diggs were picking apart Jalen Ramsey all night. And it's funny. Jalen Ramsey is the same guy about four years ago that called Josh Allen trash. And here he is. He's getting burnt by Stefan Diggs left and right. Now, to be fair, I too did say that Josh Allen was going to be the second coming of Tim Tebow about four years ago. Don't think I'm going to look too well on uh, that prediction. But, you know, he unfortunately has made a liar out of me. The the only thing I worry about with Josh Allen is the fact that I know he's a mobile quarterback. I know he's got the the strong arm, but he, he, he takes too many hits. And I worry about him, you know, almost turning into Cam Newton in a way where yeah, he, he, running is not his first thought. And he, he is smart about how he gets uh, uh, rid of the football when there's no play there. But he does take a lot of hits. He does seem to embrace contact. And I don't want to see his career be shortened based on all the hits he, he's taken. I mean, he he was hit 11 times on thursday night and he's been hit the second most times in the league since he entered in 2018 i just for his sake i wish he would be a little bit more or wiser when it comes to you know i understand one to be aggressive one to get that extra yards there at the end of the play but when you're up by 21 late in the game Maybe back off and just run out of bounds, rather than you know wanting to dive forward with your shoulder like that. But all the way around, it was a great night for the Buffalo Bills and their fans, especially when you uh, take into account how great their defense played. And they dominated that Rams offensive line so badly that you almost wonder. If Les might have been making a late-night phone call to their old buddy, recently retired Andrew Whitworth, wondering, hey, man, you sure you really want to retire? You sure you don't got, you know, one last go in you? Give us a little help here. Because that offensive line took an ass-kicking. All thanks to the addition of Von Miller on that defensive line. You know, now it, it forces... With Von Miller there, it forces you to play one-on-one with uh, some of these guys and allows guys like a Phillips, like Ed Oliver, to get one-on-one matchups to their advantage at times there. So, you know, I don't want to worry too much about the Rams. Maybe it was a, a Super Bowl hangover kind of thing and It was kind of surprising to see that this was the first time that they are under 500 in the Sean McVay era. But I am feeling pretty good about my uh, Bills uh, winning the Super Bowl pick. Now, the Rams opponent in that Super Bowl got off to a rocky start uh, yesterday as the Cincinnati Bengals fell to the Steelers. And, you know... It's week one. You don't want to get too chaotic, too concerned with uh, Burrow throwing four interceptions in the first five drives of the game. Because he did lead them in a comeback. It did look like him and Jamar Chase were going to steal victory from the jaws of defeat late in uh, that game. Even after all the picks he threw early on, throwing a, a pick six on his first throw of the game to Minka Fitzpatrick. But uh, special teams came back and bit them in the end there with uh, Evan McPherson having the extra point blocked and then missing a kick that would have won things in overtime. Now, you do have to take it a little bit in context here when you look at the fact that their long snapper, their usual long snapper was out with an injury and they had to play a backup tight end. So at long snap, so that probably did affect some of the timing of everything there. But if you're a Steeler fan, it's kind of a melancholy victory for you because your offense played horrible. There was uh, nothing about Mitch Trubisky and the crew that you can write home about yesterday. It was truly a defensive and special teams effort there, and you won a division game on the road against uh, the defending AFC champs, but now you're the walking wounded. A, you have Najee Harris dealing with this foot injury that he was a problem for him in training camp, but even more of a concern is you lose the face of your franchise till who knows when. And let's be honest, TJ Watt, m- many teams do not consider a defensive player the face of their franchise, but TJ Watt is the heart and soul of that team. He's the face of that team. He's the highest paid player on the team. He's the reigning, defending, defensive player of the year. And you know it's bad when even he's walking off the field and pointing at his left side saying, oh, I tore my pec." Listen, I know that these Watt brothers, him, his brother JJ, are ferocious workout guys. They are ferocious when it comes to uh, rehabbing injuries. But that's a big loss for that Steelers defense, and they can. You can listen to Cam Hayward and Crew talk about it after the game, how they got confidence in the other guys on the team to step up and make plays for him. But, you know, there is no replacing a defensive player of the year, and it's got to be somewhat of a mental letdown today, losing him. But the the thing about it is, you know, it's week one, and, and, uh, you know, if you're the Bengals... You got to look at this and say, all right, even as badly as we played, we were in it until the end. We were right there at at the end. And you got a great chance now to bounce back in week two because you're going up against the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys who, while I picked them to win the NFC East this year, you all know that while well, I don't hate any players on their current team, there have been guys in the past like Greg Hardy who I couldn't stand. And they're not a division opponent or division rival of the team I root for. I can't stand their fan base. Their fan base, you you could throw any fan base out there, Yankees, Red Sox, Lakers, Celtics, anyone in in the NHL, There's no more obnoxious fan base in professional sports than the Dallas Cowboys. There's no fan base that has done, that their team has done less in the last 25 years that pumps their chests out more than Dallas Cowboy fans. And you notice, you're not hearing Dallas Cowboy fans pump their chests today after last night's disheartening loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not just how poorly the team played, I mean, let's face it, in no way, shape, or form did this team get better during the offseason. Amari Cooper left, still without Michael Gallup, so your only recognizable wide receiver on the team is CeeDee Lamb. And with the fact that Zeke Elliott is still playing like he's in Cabo, you're not exactly confident in your run game, especially with the losses you have on the offensive line. Losing Lael Collins to the Bengals. Uh, Tyrone Smith uh, going out until who knows when with a hamstring issue. You're going to improve your pass rush after losing Greg Hardy when he walked out the back door to the Denver Broncos. And now to add on top of things, you've lost Dak Prescott probably until around Halloween. When he injured his thumb on his right hand. And now he's having surgery this afternoon. Likely going to miss anywhere from six to eight weeks. That's a big loss. Now, I don't care how confident you are in Cooper Rush in that Cowboys locker room. There's a reason why he's a backup quarterback. There's a reason why he's Cooper Rush. And there's no Cowboy fan out there that is screaming about Super Bowl today. There's no Cowboy fan out there that's saying, oh, America's team, we them boys today. Because you've lost your quarterback in week one. And you know, who knows wh- when he's going to be back? Who, hell, who knows what your record is going to be when he comes back? Especially because you're, you're still lacking in discipline. They had another 10 penalties last night. You still have Mike McCarthy as your head coach. And you're going up against a Buccaneers team that you were able to hold to four field goals throughout most of the night outside of Mike Evans' one touchdown and still could never get anything going offensively. Your run game uh, is still lacking with all the issues I just uh, spelled out there on the offensive line. And now even more pressure is going to be on Zeke Elliott to finally wake up with the fact that you have Cooper Rush back there at quarterback. So not a good time if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. Excuse me there. So week one saw a lot of things to react, overreact to. I'm not going to overreact to the poor play of our Defending conference champions in the Rams or in uh, the Bengals. Still plenty of time for uh, both of them uh, to uh, bounce back and uh, have really good seasons, potentially win their divisions again. I'm feeling really good about my Bills pick for uh, winning the Super Bowl this year. I'm really concerned about the Steelers now, especially when you, you look at them losing their defensive leader this early in the, the season. I'm sorry, Dallas Cowboy fans, but you're in for an extremely, extremely long season ahead. Just consider yourselves lucky that you're in the NFC East and you might have the slimmest chance of still being alive when Dak is ready to go. All right, a lot left to get to in this podcast. Another about 40 minutes to go here. Hopefully we get through this this time without the power going out in the building and can fully record uh, this week's podcast so I can recap the rest of uh, the action in week one. Talk about some of our local teams in the Jets, Giants, and Eagles in uh, what happened with them. As well as, hey, Major League Baseball. Took you long enough, but you finally got something right. So, plenty left to get to for the next about 40-45 minutes or so to go here. Hopefully we get through it this time. Glad you guys could once again join me this week. So, please... As I told you oh, about 40 minutes or so ago, the first time I uh, was recording this, please sit back, relax, help, put your feet up on the table if there's one in front of you, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 on this Monday afternoon. Hope you all had a great weekend and enjoyed week one of the NFL season. And like I said earlier, I wouldn't get too, too hung up or crazy on anything that happened yesterday. You no, know, your team won, great, take it, move on. You got the donut off the board early. You don't have to worry about the the dreaded thought of going 0 and seventeen, but even if you didn't win, you know, uh, even if you're the, the Texans and the Colts and you're 0 0 and one today, remember you got sixteen more of these uh, to go. Now I picked the Bucks to win the NFC South, but their top challenger when it comes to that division. Is the New Orleans Saints, and as I'm at the Jets game yesterday, I'm looking up at the scoreboard during timeouts there at MetLife Stadium, and I'm seeing, you know, the Falcons are surprising the Saints up by 16 in the fourth quarter. Mm, things not going all well here in the the uh, Winston Allen era of running things uh, with uh, the New Orleans uh, Saints. But suddenly, you know, they got an offensive spark. Suddenly, they started to come alive here. And what really helped Jameis Winston was finally, for the first time in two years, having Michael Thomas uh, back there and came up clutch with two uh, late uh, game touchdowns to drag the Saints back into this so that they had enough time for Will Lutz to hit a game winning field goal. You know, Jameis Winston has played very well as the Saints quarterback. Remember, they got off to a 5-2 and two start uh, last year before he went down with the torn ACL, including beating down on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in opening week. So he has shown since this laser surgery he had to his eyes that he's been a much better, much more improved quarterback. My only thing with the Saints is... You, know, you have a, a quarterback that's you know coming off a torn ACL, a, a wide receiver in Michael Thomas who has not played in almost two years, and Dennis Allen, while he's not a rookie head coach, it's been a while since he's had a head coaching opportunity. And you're going up against a Buccaneers team who, yes, they've got a second-time head coach in their own right in Todd Bowles. But with the box most of the group remains intact yes Gronk retired though I'm still questioning whether that's going to last and maybe he comes back in you know around Halloween time or even at the latest Thanksgiving time and gives them a little extra boost as the season goes on and yes the the injury to Chris Godwin is concerning yesterday with with the hamstring on the same leg that he had uh, the ACL surgery, but maybe that was overcompensation from uh, the rehab. But you still got Tom Brady there. And by all reports, this is going to be Tom's last year. So you know Tom is going to want to go out on a high note, that he's going to want to go out in the biggest way possible. And we've seen a pissed-off, motivated Tom Brady can do even more wild, even more crazy, great things. So, you know, as great as a, a win that was, come back for the Saints, I'm not deterred enough by what the Bucks did last night in their victory to say that, oh, the Saints are, are already ready to knock them off. Got to see more. I mean, we're going to get to see them play each other for the first time this coming Sunday in Tampa Bay see how they uh react in that matchup now got to see some of the highlights of some of these young quarterbacks uh, yesterday and I think it's a big thing that Justin fields that that he actually got playing time last year in that dreaded weather in Chicago because they played in the middle of a monsoon uh yesterday and you no know, even no while he wasn't great he was able to step up when necessary and lead them with a couple of late game uh, touchdowns to the victory over this uh really strong Niners defense now a lot of people are going to say oh is uh, Trey Lance on a short leash? No, it's his, only as his second career start, people. And look at the conditions that they were playing in there in Chicago. It was even worse than it was here in New Jersey at MetLife Stadium. Right, can we give a, the kid a break? I know they still got Garoppolo there, but unless he gets hurt, for better or worse, you got to stick with Trey Lance as your quarterback. I was impressed with what I saw by Jalen Hurts yesterday leading uh, the Eagles in what looked like it was going to be a rather easy victory originally over the Detroit Lions. I mean, him and A.J. Brown seemed to have an instant chemistry there in their first real game uh, playing together. And while usually I don't, believe in the whole idea of a moral victory clearly the lions are feeding into and following the message of dan campbell listen we all thought he was a raving lunatic after his initial press conference but clearly something that he's telling these guys is working is resonating with them they love playing for him they don't just quit roll over i mean They could have easily got blown out 51-21. Instead, they made it damn near a game at the end. And you know they're not going to be a doormat forever. I don't view Jerick Goff as their long-term solution at quarterback. But clearly, they're on the way up. They're on the way to maybe not this year or next year, but eventually being a contender. And if they're smart... The Lions front office doesn't do anything foolish. Dan Campbell is clearly the guy to lead them long-term. His message may seem weird, but he gets players to buy in, gets players to play hard for him. The Dolphins beat the Patriots uh, yesterday, caused some conflict in uh, the household of uh, a couple of friends of mine because uh, the couple of friends of mine who got married uh, a few months ago one of them is a Dolphins fan and his wife is a New England Patriots fan, so I can only imagine that my buddy Brian was sleeping on the couch last night, with his wife probably pouting over the Patriots losing to the Dolphins. But that's been kind of the trend for the Patriots. The these early season meetings and all uh, losses down in Miami over the years still do not understand why Belichick flew the team down so early in the week, especially with the heat wave that the east coast of this country has had been dealing with for the better part of the last several weeks. I'm figuring you would want to spend as less time possible in that kind of heat as you could, rather than exhausting yourself for the entire week. But once again, the Patriots offense. Did not look good. And I don't know what you're going to expect out of this Patriots offense when, A, now I've got Mac Jones dealing with possibly some lower back issues. And, B, it's being run by two guys who were once part of your coaching staff. But let's not forget, Matt Patricia, when he was last there, was the defensive coordinator. And Joe Judge was the special teams coach. And these are the guys you're entrusting to run this offense, an offense that, let's face it, you didn't get better. You didn't add any true, real wide receiver help for this kid that you're seemingly willing to go forward with as your quarterback. So I don't know why anyone should be surprised with the problems that the Patriots are having on offense right now. Kind of uh, you know a mixed bag day for Carson Wentz. I mean, you saw a lot of the bad in Carson Wentz with two fourth quarter interceptions. But hey, when he needed to do so, was able to step up and you know lead them in victory here and get the win over the Jaguars. Now it's going to be now it's going to be interesting coming up next week. He's coming off this four-touchdown performance. Again, the Commanders, their first victory of the season. But now he's going up against his uh, fellow draft mate from uh, years back in uh, Jarrett Goff. And the, you know, last time we saw these two guys go up against each other, one was a ram, one was an eagle. My, how things have fallen apart for these two since. Now, I talked about the the Chiefs uh, destroying the Cardinals yesterday. I think, you know, maybe that calmed down some of the worries, some of the concern that, oh, how is Patrick Mahomes going to do without Tyreek Hill? Oh, is, is he going to take some steps back? I think he's going to do just fine, people. Remember, he's this is Patrick freaking Mahomes we're talking about here. I mean, There's a reason why he's a Super Bowl champion, why he's been a league MVP. And yes, he's still got Travis Kelsey there, but he was completing passes to eight different receivers, as well as his running backs uh, yesterday, outside of uh, Kelsey. And seemingly picked apart a, a Cardinals team that really was not ready to play on any front. I mean, the the Cardinals offensively went three for 12 on third downs. Cliff Kingsbury looked like he had no answers. Looked like he was looking at the calendar, wondering when DeAndre Hopkins uh, suspension was going to be over with. And even, even that probably wouldn't have uh, provided any help considering how lackluster their defense was. I mean, Someone forgot to, clearly forgot to tell them what time the game was beginning. Uh, but, hey, you're going up against Mahomes and, and company. Never an easy assignment. Now, they have a very quick turnaround for them as they're going to be playing arguably their stiffest competition in uh, the AFC uh West coming up uh, this Thursday night when uh, they take on uh, the Chargers. Chargers, who are coming off a victory against the Raiders yesterday, but little wounded in their own right as they uh, lost Keenan Allen to a hamstring injury in the first half of that game yesterday. And while he claims he's that it's possible for him to play, I really would not expect it, but... When you have Justin Herbert as uh, your quarterback, I would not rule anything out as far as chances of going on the road and pulling off the upset. I mean, they've done it before with with Herbert against the Chiefs. Who says they can't do it now? And plus, you're getting your Thursday night game out of the way early. If this was, say, 10 weeks from now and you're – You've gone through the grind of the NFL season. I'd be a little bit more concerned, but the fact that it's week two and teams are still trying to kind of figure themselves out at this point after not playing much in the preseason might be a good sign for the Chargers to go in and pull off uh, the shocker. No, I'm not surprised that the Vikings beat the Packers yesterday because we've seen the Packers lay eggs, lay duds like this on week one before. I am surprised, though, that their defense would allow Justin Jefferson to be that wide open the entire first half. I mean, at some point, even if you get penalized, even if it costs your team yards, Don't you gotta just go over and jack this guy up? He's clearly the best player on the team. He's having a field day in uh, the first half, and when you know that you're lacking at the wide receiver position in your own right, it was up to that defense to uh, step up and you know really show something in uh, this uh, division matchup. As you know, you start off the season with two back-to-back division opponents first uh, going up against uh, the Vikings in their house, giving them a little bit of momentum. And then you're uh, going up against the bears on Sunday night football this coming week. Now you still do have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback and who's to say there's not a trade somewhere along the way, or who's to say maybe they're the team that signs Odell Beckham and by the time you play the Vikings again in uh, week 17, you're a more well tuned, uh, well oiled machine. But you no, know, if it, yesterday was any sign, Justin Jefferson looks like he was saying to himself, All right, I see you, Cooper Cup. I'm going to top that. Uh, this year and put on in even more explosive position in my route to potentially be an offensive player of the year. And as much as I got enjoyment out of seeing the sourpuss sour looks on cowboy fans' faces last night, the only thing that could possibly match that. Was the sour puss and sour look on Baker Mayfield's face as the Browns were kicking the game winning field goal yesterday to disrupt his chances at completing the fourth quarter comeback? Because you know that he could say all he wants that, oh, it wasn't a revenge game and that it's just week one and tried to downplay it after the game. But we know Baker Mayfield's got an ego. We see how you know he's even got rivals in the media over the years and takes shot silent shots at people. He was really looking at this being his aha moment and trying to shove this right up of uh, the uh, Cleveland Browns rear ends. But in the end, it was too much of a ground-control kind of game with the Browns. They ran the football very well, dominated the time of possession, and were able to get enough stops when necessary, allowing it so that, you know, Jacoby Percet can just be that placeholder he's supposed to be, not screw the thing up and keep the team in a position where, oh, when... Uh, Deshaun is ready to come back. They're still within reach to make the playoffs. So there's a lot coming out of this week where you're you're wanting to be happy, wanting to be joyous. But I'm not ready to say the Saints are going to overtake the Buccaneers uh, for the NFC South. As I like what I saw as some of these young quarterbacks with Hurts and Fields. Still got to see more. Uh, The Chiefs clearly showed that they are still a well-tooled, fine-oiled machine without uh, uh, Tyreek Hill. And I don't know what to tell you, Patriots fans. I don't know what we were really expecting out of having a defensive coach and a special teams coordinator running your offense. All right, go take another break here. Come back on the, the other side. Turn my attention to baseball really quick because they made me a very happy person uh, in this past week. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1 800 TV Radio or log on to gocsb.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools, redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained, get connected. 1 800 TV Radio. Much better week this past week for both of our local baseball teams. And it started to be a little bit of a scare there for a bit when it came. To their uh, division leads you know especially with you know the lackluster offense both teams uh, were showing here but both the Yankees and Mets rebounded fairly well no, especially after the Mets lost that first game in Pittsburgh, uh, with Walker getting beat up. It was pretty important for them to sweep the doubleheader uh against uh the Pirates and then two two out of three against the Marlins because you know the Braves just don't stop coming. You know, they got slowed down a little bit by the Mariners this uh weekend. Kind of calmed down any Met fans who were panicking after Friday night when the Braves, for the first time this year, had sole lead, sole control of the NL East. But uh, the Mets uh, rebounded well with a a couple of uh, big wins over the weekend. The concern, though, with the Mets is they're having some injuries at the wrong time. These are the kind of injuries you'd want to deal with. More toward the beginning of the season, less so than the end. I, it doesn't sound like it's gonna be too long until Starling Marte comes back from uh, his uh, uh, fractured finger, but at the same time, he's missing, you know, at least a week of action. a a week of live at-bats. And while he's letting that finger heal, he's not able to take batting practice, not able to get the true feel of game action. So, you know, it, it will take him a little bit of time once he does get back to truly feel in the mix of things. But the injury I'm more concerned about is the injury with Max Scherzer. And while, you know, we talked about it last week, it wasn't a true injury. It was just being cautious here. This is the same side of his body that he had the oblique strain last year. This is the same side where he's now once again dealing with issues. And the fact that Max Scherzer himself wasn't willing to push this does have to be something you have to be a little bit concerned about. Does have to be something you do have a little bit of a antennas up about concern that, oh, is this going to be a true long-term issue to deal with in the playoffs? Because the the big advantage the Mets have over everybody on the NL side of things, they have a one-two punch in the rotation that no one really can match up against especially with the Dodgers losing Walker Bueller for the year. So you want these guys as healthy as possible because with how Jekyll and Hyde the Mets offense has been over the last month or so, you're going to have to rely on these two great pitchers to take you deep into this postseason, and especially with how... You don't know what you're getting out of this bullpen on a given night. You, you have two sureties in this pitching staff. Three, the two aces and your closer in Diaz with the continued remarkable year he's having. The rest of the guys are a bunch of question marks. And yes, Diaz is a question mark when it comes to oh his postseason and how he's going to handle being there for the first time. But he's been so far so great in uh this regular season, it's just about how you get the ball to him because you're not gonna the likelihood is you're not gonna get eight innings out of your starters each and every single night. And the Yankees, you know that they finally started to show some life in the, the last two days, scoring ten runs a game. It shows you what happens when you have a representable lineup out there, when you have real big league hitters in this lineup, you know, getting Stanton back, getting uh, Josh Donaldson off the paternity uh, list, having Miguel Andujar actually get real at bats in left field. He's done nothing to screw up defensively so far, so keep running him out there. He's actually hitting a little bit, and please. No one needs to see Aaron Hicks anymore. Especially after what we saw on Friday night. I'm at the stadium on Friday night. He's running right toward us. And I'm thinking, oh, he caught the ball. And from my angle there in the second deck, I couldn't see that, A, he didn't catch the ball. And, B, he's just standing there as it's rolling around in, in uh, fair territory. I know Boone pulled him after that inning. But I was hoping he would have embarrassed him during that and. And pulled him right then and there. Especially with how he let the next ball after that go right over his head. I mean, enough of Hicks. It it was a mistake of a contract to begin with. Just cut bait this offseason and get rid of him. And This offseason is going to be a a big time for the Yankees, as we know. Because the biggest thing they're going to have to deal with is the Aaron Judge contract. But the last thing we need at this time is Randy Levine making comments about the Aaron Judge contract. I mean, please, every time Randy Levine opens his mouth seemingly about anything, he seems to make an ass out of the front office, out of this organization. He's always got to butt his nose in where it doesn't belong. And yes, he's... the the president of the team, but he's not the president of baseball operations. That's Brian Cashman. Randy Levine is always been more on the business side of handling things, but every time he sticks his nose into baseball things, whether it's, Oh, when Cashman didn't want to sign Rafael Soriano because it would have required giving up a draft pick. He goes behind his back and starts making the deal with, uh, Scott Boris and gets uh, the Steinbrenner brothers to approve on that. Or remember the arbitration hearing with Dylan Batantes, and he kept calling him Dylan and was saying that, oh, he's just a reliever to his face, trying to really downplay him and belittle him. When anyone who's ever seen Dylan Batantes knows that he's one of the nicest guys that you're ever going to find in. professional sports. He's a gentle giant. And now this past week, he goes on the show podcast hosted by baseball columnists, John Heyman and Joel Sherman. And he's talking about Aaron Judge's impending free agency. And you knew the second that you heard that he was on there, that that Levine was going to make an ass out of himself. And I'm going to pull one quote in particular that he said there when talking about Judge, saying, quote, there is no issue here whether we want Judge back. There is no issue how much we value him. It's in negotiations. And I put this in bold print here. Quote, what we'll talk about with him and his representatives in the offseason is how do we keep him? And then, oh, will It will be up to him. Does he want to stay here? Does he want to go somewhere else? Is someone offering him a better deal? I think uh, we will be uh, extraordinarily competitive. I think uh, Hal Steinbrenner has been competitive. We have one of the top payrolls in baseball. We always have. We value him. It's never been a question of not wanting judge or not valuing judge. We think he's one of the best players in in baseball. It's just a, a question of getting a guess. We're going to um, try again. And he, as this would go on, he keeps bringing up uh, about how um, does judge value being a Yankee? He, Now, he he really tries his hardest to paint Judge as the uh, bad guy here. And I don't know whether it's him or whether it's Cashman and going public with the negotiations back in April when things broke down at the end of spring training. But you're not going to win the court of public opinion when it comes to going up against Aaron Judge. You're not going to somehow, some way make him look like the bad guy here and try to force him into looking greedy if he leaves as a free agent and goes elsewhere. If he leaves, the fan base is going to be right up your rear ends and going to be pissed off at you more so than they are going to be pissed off at him. You know, It's one thing if he takes less and goes uh, somewhere else or even if he takes more and goes somewhere else and starts talking about the Yankees like the way Robinson Cano did and saying he felt disrespected in the negotiations. But if, you know... Someone offers him more and you're not even within the same ballpark. If you try to stay within the same realm of what you were negotiating back in April, the fan base is going to be pissed off. You know, the, I don't view the Yankees as cheap because they have the third highest payroll in baseball. But I do view them as poor spenders in the fact that they've used the money in the wrong way they've given stupid contracts like the the Hicks contract they've brought on the twenty five million dollars on Josh Donaldson when he has been you know just a bad offensive player for this team this year and then there's these the Stanton contract which continues to hang over them and always having to do what it takes to keep him healthy those you worry about coming back to bite you in the rear end when it comes to negotiating judges' deal and keeping him here long-term. Now, I mentioned earlier, baseball made me very happy over the weekend with the announcements of some rule changes. Finally waking the hell up here. They, They announced three rule changes, one of which I don't like that I really don't approve of and that's making the bases larger the bases have been traditionally 15 square inches now they're 18 inches square making them wider and that's gonna i know that's gonna make it easier for guys to steal bases but between that and the fact that you have some of these guys wearing these like oven mitt things to protect their hands, that the mitt is actually longer, or by about an inch, than their fingers are, that I really wouldn't have played around with. Uh, the only change I would have made to the bases is put the softball bag out there at first base, where you have the the double wide rectangle with half of it in fair territory and half of it along the Baseline so that you avoid collisions and avoid guys, uh, um, possibly stepping on the first baseman's ankle. But the the other two rule changes they made I like. One, the pitch clock. I don't know, you know, people are going to say, "Oh, there's never been a clock in baseball." But there are some of these pitchers that are taking way too damn long to throw the ball, especially when there's not even a runner. On base. So here's the deal with the these new rules. There'll be a 15 second timer with the bases empty, and a 20 second timer with the runner on base. The pitcher must begin his motion to deliver the pitch before the expiration of the pitch timer. Any pitcher who violates the timer are charged with an automatic ball, and the batter the batter must be in the box. By at least the eight-second mark, and alert, uh, be alert to the pitcher, or they're going to be charged with an automatic strike. So that's a little something interesting there, and that's going to have fans more in tune, more paying attention to the clock throughout the game. You know you'll get some sec times where you'll have fan bases counting down on the clock, and you know being disruptive and making noises if a a player does violate it. So if the pitcher violates the pitch clock, automatic ball. If the hitter uh, violates uh, being there by the eight-second mark, they get charged an automatic strike. Also, they're limiting pitchers to to two pickoff attempts per uh, uh, at bat, and if they go to a third... uh, uh, attempt without catching the guy stealing the runner automatically advances all uh, one base if the pickoff attempt is not successful so that's gonna be something interesting to watch there but the rule change I'm really in love with I've been waiting for this one I've wanted this one to happen for a long time the banning of the defensive shift I mean, it, it had just become too much It was one thing, it was understandable back 15, 16 years ago, the first time I saw this when people were putting three infielders on the right side going up against David Ortiz because he used to just pull everything and wouldn't even try to go the opposite way. But now when you're seeing some of these where you're having the shortstop lineup directly behind second base, or you're having the second baseman or third baseman out in right field at at and at times you were also seeing teams with these four outfielder alignments. I mean it was taking away from some of the joy, some of the fun of baseball. And you know the people that are out there that are complaining about this saying oh the guys should just learn how to hit the other way they're the same ones that have complained saying that baseball is boring that it's become the true three true outcome sport with it being a strikeout walk or a home run now guys are not going to just be trying to do this whole launch angle stuff they're going to have the full field to work with not feeling like half the field is taken away from them, And also you're going to get to see some of the true athleticism of some of these guys, because you're not going to be allowed to switch around infielders based on, Oh, which side the guy's hitting on. You can't just say, Oh, I'm going to take my shortstop and playing at second base for this batter because it's a left-handed pole hitter. No, the only way you can make a change defensively uh, like that is if you're, bringing in a substitute player, then you can move guys around to new positions. So you're not going to be seeing guy the second baseman and shortstop flipping positions each play. And the fact that, you know, that sometimes you're going to have to run from a spot closer to first base to behind second base to make a play. You're going to start to see the true athleticism in guys and get athletes back in the game. So, I think it adds some fun to this. Add some a new wrinkle, add some excitement uh to it. Finally having the shift uh banned uh from baseball and maybe we'll see who are the the real true great athletes and stop seeing some of these pitchers get bailed out of jams um when uh, the, they're going up against tough hitters cuz you know, they're probably pitchers that have a much, much lower ERAs than they should have based on the defensive shift. And you see some of these guys that are hitting line drives to right field and you're thinking, oh, that's a base hit. But no, the second baseman is standing out there in right field, robbing them from it. Not going to be the case anymore. No, you got to have both feet on the dirt when the pitch is thrown. So to me. It's just going to add some more enjoyment and excitement to the game. Going to take one last break here, come back on the other side, and finish up with our two local football teams, the Jets and the Giants, who had very differing starts to their 2022 NFL seasons. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Very differing starts to week one for the Jets and the Giants. And it shows you how different your perspective can be on a season and on your team based on how you do week one. Like I said earlier, it's overreaction on Monday here. And if you're a Giant fan, you should be on cloud nine right now. If you're a Giant fan, you should be overjoyous as anything because, you no. Know, a little less than 24 hours ago, there was a a point where you're thinking, oh, another miserable start to the season. You know, Giants haven't won a week one in years, hadn't been over 500 since, ironically, since that infamous boat trip um, that they took before the uh, Green Bay Packers playoff game uh, years ago. But here we sit on the first Monday of the NFL season and the Giants are 1-0 on the season uh, with a nice comeback victory against the Tennessee Titans yesterday. A Titans team that, listen, they're not world beaters. They're not amongst the elite of the elite in the AFC, but they're a winning team. They've been a winning uh Uh, team for several years here. Been very good under Mike Vrabel, continuing to uh, uh, make the playoffs each and every single year. And when you were down 13-0 at halftime, you're probably thinking, oh, it's going to be another miserable Sunday for the G-Men. But in the second half, there was a lot you liked from this team. They showed hot Salt. They showed grit. They showed heart here in battling back here. You know the the things I take away from this game, A, Saquon Barkley looking like the Saquon Barkley from his rookie year. And not just being where, oh, he breaks off that long 60 plus yard run and then does nothing for the rest of the game. You see it time and time again from him. We'll have this big 50 to 60 yard run and then have a, a bunch of one-yard gains, two-yard gains, one-yard loss. That's kind of been the story of Saquon's career. But this was a legitimate full game of domination effort by Barkley with not just the long t- uh, touchdown run for him, but also the go-ahead two-point conversion uh, at the end of the game. And that, you know, that takes a set of stones there being a rookie coach in your first game and you could have easily just gone for the two-point conversion, played for overtime, but no, saying, hey, you know what? Let's build a winning culture here. Let's build a winning mindset here and not just settle for the crapshoot that overtime can be. Let's take a shot. Now, if you fail there, you're gonna hear a lot of criticism, a lot of um, people ripping you in the media, on the radio. The next day, but when you come off successful in that, you're on cloud nine. You it, it gives not just your team but your fan base a a jolt of energy. And yes, I know you know there's the naysayers out there that say. That the Giants, oh, they almost lost it again. The they had a couple of defensive penalties on the final drive, gave Randy Bullock a shot at a game-winning field goal, but hey, he missed it. And sometimes in sports, it's better to be lucky than good. And you know, the other thing that happened in that game is I love not just the stones of Brian Dable for taking that shot there on the two-point conversion, but showing that he's not just accepting mediocrity, not just accepting the same old crap. You know, Pat Shermer and Joe Judge would just stood there with their hands in their pockets after the interception by thrown by Jones there in the fourth quarter, acted like, oh, it's no big deal. No, he confronted him right then and there on the bench and said, no, we can't have that in a... In this game, we can't have that at that spot because remember, they just got the football back. Pinnock recovered uh, the muff punt by uh, Kyle Phillips there. You gave yourself great field goal, field position there. And then you have uh, Amani uh, Hooker pick you off there in the end zone. That could have been a Real detrimental blow to uh, the Giants there. But I love the fact that Dayball confronted Jones right then and there on the bench. Didn't do anything to really embarrass him. Wasn't up in his face screaming. But let him know, hey, you got to be better than that. And probably motivated him to help lead that uh, final drive there in the last couple minutes. Even converting a fourth down, scrambling to the left there. So... Nice win for the Giants, a nice start to their season because you look at their upcoming schedule and, well, I don't expect them to win all of these games. You look at n- next week they got the Panthers who are reeling off of uh, the uh, the loss to Cleveland yesterday. And then in two weeks here, uh, you got the Cowboys and who knows what the Cowboys are going to be um, not just physically but emotionally then. The fact that they're going to be without Dak Prescott until at least Halloween. So I'm not saying the Giants are going to be a playoff team this year. I'm not even guaranteeing they're going to have a winning record. But it, the start of this new era, the Brian Dayball era, could not have gone any better. Yeah, everybody would like to have that dominant, overwhelming victory. But sometimes the comeback, unexpected victory can just... Be just as gratifying, just as rewarding for a team, especially when you've been losing as much as they've been uh, recently. Now, was not as successful a day for my New York Jets yesterday as they uh, lost a dreadful game in their home opener to the Baltimore Ravens. Three hours of my life I will not get back that my eyes will not be able to unsee. And, you know, the defense tried to hold in for the Jets as long as they possibly could. I thought, you know, their front seven played pretty well, even saw some uh, good things out of their first-round pick, Jermaine Johnson. You saw Sauce Gardner play very well in his NFL debut. But they just could not overcome all the mistakes. And when you're an underdog team, like that to a team that, yeah, they finished with an under five hundred record uh, last year. But the Ravens are a legit top tier team in the AFC. They're a team that some are projected to come out of the AFC. Some think that uh, the fact that Lamar did not reach uh, the contract uh, extension with them before hit the self imposed deadline he had last Friday is going to motivate him to not just have a big year as far as wins, but big year enough to win him the league MVP this year once again. But when you're going up against a team like that, that has that good of a quarterback, has you know that good of a defense, and runs a scheme that is... Uh, Main goal is to wear you down, tire you out like that. It, you know that you're in for a 60-minute fight when you're facing a team like the Ravens. You just can't have mistakes like the Jets had. You and you're not going to be able to overcome it, as many mistakes as the Jets were making. Whether it's you know Corey Davis dropping the the ball on a third down, you know right to his hands and it, it slides through and, Corey Davis has been off since middle of last year. You think he could have practiced catching the football since then? Uh, you have a missed field goal early on by Greg Zarline, who had an atrocious day. Between that and missing the uh, point after on their lone touchdown late in this game, now. Reed not seeing uh, Mike Davis's, uh fumble there in the third quarter. And on the very next play, Rashad Bateman uh, has a, a long touchdown. And then the the Brees Hall fumble uh, that was the, the cherry on top of the cake in the fourth quarter. There's just way too many mistakes being made. Especially at a time where, what are you going to get out of this Jet offense? You, I mean, I know Flacco threw for 300 yards, but most of that was late in the game when the Ravens were uh, playing, you know, in zone, were playing pretty much, you know, a a quasi-type um, of prevent defense. They were letting the Jets have whatever they wanted in front of them. Now, the, this offense, it just, it looks dreadful, looks unimaginative, looks uneventful uh, to watch and Unfortunately, that's something you're going to deal with when you have a quarterback that is probably the least mobile quarterback in the league. I didn't think that there was anyone slower than Tom Brady, but it's painful watching Joe Flacco try to run around. He He's running for his damn near life, and you're watching him run. It It's almost like he's, he's running in slow motion. So, no, I don't know what kind of imaginativity... Creativity you're going to get out of this offense until you get Zach Wilson back, or unless you decide to play Mike White. And I don't want to seem like a Debbie Downer, don't want to seem like it's, oh, doom and gloom here, but I was not really impressed with anything I came away with watching from the Jets yesterday. And Outside of you know their young defensive players, offensively, yeah, they've got some good young wide receivers, but with the fact that you have a, a a lack of mobility in your quarterback and an offensive line that is makeshift at best, with Font now back at left tackle after being moved around all training camp. You have guards playing out of position, a rookie off the practice squad playing at right tackle. I don't know how you can expect to have any offense if this offensive line is not going to protect them and and give time. But, hey, it's week one. Hopefully things get more positive from here. Hopefully things start to pick up from here. Like I said before, no matter what team you're a fan of, if you guys lost on Sunday, don't get too too down. It's week one. you know, unless you're a New York Jets fan like myself, then unfortunately you're bound for, quite frankly, a lifetime full of misery. And that, my friends, was keeping with sports when I three for Monday, September 12th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great week. Stay safe. Have fun. Look forward to week two in the National Football League. And I'll be back once again next week to talk about it all, all over again. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey! Shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.